Well, happy Father's Day. <laughs> Thank you for being here today, whether you're a dad or not. We're grateful that you're here at Mount Airy Baptist Church. Uh, last week we started a series called Desperate. And it's based on the stories of three desperate people found in Mark chapter 5. Now, I'll tell you what we did last week in case you weren't here. Uh, we looked at the story of a demon-possessed man who lived in the tombs in the region of the Gerasenes. This man was so desperate, so hopeless, that the graveyard was his home. He was a man who had no hope of everything, of anything ever improving in his life. And what we learned last week is this. When you have no one to help you, there is someone to help you. And his name is Jesus. Now, let, let me say it again. We need to practice saying amen today, all right? So here, here's what we learned last week. When you have no one to help you, there is someone to help you. His name is Jesus. So, that was last week. Now, I love the stories that are in Mark chapter 5. And I, and I love the fact that God often speaks to us through the storytelling in His Word. Because the characters are a lot like us. Broken, sinful, hurting, desperate, and yet redeemed by a loving God. The Bible is so much more than just a series of stories collected and handed down through time. It, the, it really is our story. It's a blueprint for our lives. So today we're going to look at the story of a desperate dad. It's a famous story of this desperate dad. But whether you're a dad or not, you can still learn from his experience. His story, this desperate dad, is found in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. And it's a gut-wrenching story about a faith test and growing stronger through that experience. Mark chapter 5, verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now, let me stop there for a moment to tell you that there's really a story within the story. Because beginning in verses 25 through 34, there's a story about a woman who has been sick for 12 years without any hope of getting better. And so right in the middle of this story of Jairus, it's the story of this lady. And then beginning in verse 35 through 43, we won't take time to read it right now, but we will in a few moments. But in verse 35 through 43, we pick up the story again of Jairus and his dying daughter. So really you have two stories in this one story. And I want to use those two stories as a background to help us understand what desperate faith looks like and how God uses our heavy burdens in life to make us stronger. So let me describe for you this morning, two or three different ways, describe for you what desperate faith is. First of all, desperate faith causes you to lay aside your pride. Now, every father here can relate to this part of the story. Any dad can relate to what we're about to read. Uh, the, the Bible says that this man named Jairus, this dad named Jairus, had a little girl who was dying. 
In fact, in Luke's gospel, Luke's account of this, Luke says it was his only daughter, a girl of about 12 years of age, and was dying. Imagine that, men. Imagine that, dad. Your little girl, your baby girl, is sick. And she's dying. Twelve years of watching the smile on her face. Twelve years of hugs and kisses. Twelve years of good mornings and good nights. Twelve years of watching her grow up. And now, now she's dying. And you've tried everything that you know to do to help her, but nothing is working. So Jairus, the Bible says, fell at the feet of Jesus and earnestly pleaded with Jesus to come to his house. Now the interesting thing about this story is that Jairus was not just a father. In verse 22, we learn that he's something else. What is he also? Besides being a father, what is he? Verse 22, synagogue ruler. And when Mark writes this story, it's as if Mark can't get over that fact. He mentions it again and again. Uh, let, Let me show you in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. He mentions it again, verse 36. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, not Jairus, but the synagogue ruler, verse 38. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, again, not the home of Jairus, but the home of the synagogue ruler, Mark again and again just keeps telling us, keeps pointing back to the fact, hey, 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 this desperate dad was a synagogue ruler. Now, a synagogue ruler was a person who was in charge of the public services in the synagogue. This was a person who was usually a man of of reputation, a man well-known in the community, a man respected in the community, sometimes a man of wealth, a man of prominence and influence. He was the one in charge of the public services in the synagogue. Now, in addition to that, you must remember that during this time of Jesus' life and ministry, the Jewish leadership were, was trying to kill him. They were trying to manipulate a way and find a way and, uh, to, to kill Jesus. They didn't like what he was saying and what, he, what they thought he was doing. And so the synagogue ruler, was his, the people he was connected with, was trying to kill Jesus. So in other words, the synagogue ruler, maybe that's the reason Mark mentions it four, four or five times, would be the last person you would expect to come to Jesus for help. But we read these words in verse 23. And to me, they are just filled with emotion. He pleaded earnestly with him, with Jesus. My little daughter is dying. Please, come and put your hands on her. So that she'll be healed and lived. I know what other people say. I know what my... My colleagues believe about you. I know what some of them are trying to do to you. I know what what people are saying. I know all of that, but I also know this. There's something about you. And if you can do anything, I believe you can. Would you come and heal my daughter? You see, there's a valuable lesson there for us. When you put your faith to work, listen, 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 listen. When you put your faith to work, sometimes it requires you to lay aside your pride. I wonder if Jairus, the Jairus, the synagogue ruler. I wonder if he ever had thoughts like this. Well, what will people think of me? I wonder as he was running towards Jesus if he ever thought, I'll be the laughing stock of this town. I wonder if he thought, I've got a reputation to think about. I wonder if he thought, what if this doesn't work? 
I wonder if he thought, I'm going to look like a fool to my colleagues. I want you to write something down if you're taking notes. Don't forget it. Prideful people will never exercise great faith. Prideful people will never exercise great faith. I want to tell you why. Because prideful people are focused on themselves instead of on God. They're always focused on themselves and how they look and how they present themselves and how it's going to turn out. Prideful people are concerned about themselves more than God. You see, faith sometimes requires you to risk embarrassment. Sometimes you have to decide what's more important. What will others think or what can God do? Jairus focused focused on what God could do. So he pleaded with Jesus to come put your hands on her. Number two, let me describe desperate faith to you this way. Desperate faith means waiting for God to work. This is probably my favorite part of the story. It must have been an exciting time when hope flooded back into his spirit when he found out that Jesus would indeed come with him to his house. We read about it in verse 24. So Jesus went with him. Now that's a very short sentence, but it has so much meaning packed into it. If you are Jairus... Your daughter is dying, and you have no hope of her being well again, except for perhaps Jesus coming to heal her. If you see Jesus saying yes, and and he's walking with you towards your home, all of a sudden, think about the hope that you have. He's heading back to your daughter's bedside. You're bringing somebody back to her who might be able to help her. Put yourself in his shoes. I'm going to tell you what. If you put yourself in Jesus' shoes, you would be happy, and you'd be in a hurry, wouldn't you? You'd be walking as fast as you could walk, perhaps even running. And you'd, be kept look, you'd keep looking back to him, trying to motion for him to come on. And you'd be wondering, who in the world taught him to walk so slow? You'd be wanting to get there as soon as you can. And things began to get a little stressful. Verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. A large crowd followed and pressed around. You know what that word pressed around him means? They started getting in the way. They started blocking his path. They started slowing down Jesus. They are pressing in around him. He's trying to walk through the crowd and keep up with Jairus, and he's trying to make progress, but this large crowd is pressing around him. And then things go from bad to worse. And here's where we pick up the second story that's implanted in this story. In verse 25, And a woman was there in that large crowd who was pressing around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Question, how old was Jairus' daughter? 12 years. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, and she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And while, or when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Isn't this a crazy question? I may come back and preach on this. I'm not going to say too much about it. But he turned around and asked, Who touched my clothes? Now remember, there's this large crowd pressing all around him. And Jesus asked, Who touched my clothes? Verse 31, You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, Who touched me? 
But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now, listen. Everybody look up here for a minute. Wonderful story, right? Exciting that she was healed after 12 years of suffering. Wonderful, God bless you, and all that kind of thing. But if you're the dad in this story, are you excited about this? No. If you're the dad in this story, you would be anything but patient right now. It would be heart-wrenching for you to wait for Jesus to get back on the road toward your house. You, I don't know about you, maybe I should just talk about me. I would be so angry, so frustrated. I would be trying to push the people aside and grabbing his hands. Come on, we've got to go, we've got to go. You know what faith is? Desperate faith means sometimes waiting on God to work in your situation. Just waiting. Waiting on that loved one to be healed. Waiting on that job to be opened. Waiting on a doctor's report. Waiting on your finances to get better. Waiting on that son or that daughter to come back to God. When you're desperate for things to change, when you're desperate for things to get better, it can be very frustrating to wait. Especially, listen to this, be very frustrating when Jesus is not doing what you think He ought to be doing. And you're waiting. I'll tell you the third thing about desperate faith. Number three. Desperate faith means trusting God even when the future looks bleak. James, or I'm sorry, Jairus got the worst news any parent could get in verse 35. While Jesus was speaking, while he was speaking to this lady, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead. Then he got some unsolicited advice from these same people. Why bother the teacher anymore? With what the human eye could see, they were right. With what the human eye could see, there was no reason to bother Jesus anymore. Again, dads, parents, think of how devastating this would have been. Angry would not be a big enough word to describe it, would it? Frustrated would not be a big enough word to describe what you would feel. And you would have questions like, if only the crowd hadn't, or why would? You you would have all kinds of questions, all kinds of emotions, all kinds of anger boiling up within you. And just about the time that you wanted to choke somebody, Jesus speaks up with some unsolicited advice. Verse 36. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. You might want to underline that in your Bible, those five words. Don't be afraid. Just believe. You've got every reason to be afraid. But don't be afraid. Just believe. You've got every reason not to believe. But don't be afraid. Just believe. Fear and faith are not good companions. 
When our dream appears to be dead, sometimes God will ask you to believe in spite of the circumstances. And do you know what was hanging in the balance at this critical point? Think through the story with me. What was hanging in the balance at this critical point? The life of his daughter. But Jairus wasn't being asked to believe blindly. Jesus had just demonstrated for him what faith can do when he healed the woman who had suffered for 12 years. And now after watching that miracle, he turns to Jairus and says, Don't be afraid. Just believe. See, sometimes faith is believing in spite of the evidence because of what you've already seen God do. Have you ever watched people lift weights? Or maybe you've lifted weights before. If you've ever watched people lift weights, that they're, if they're really serious about it, they're rarely content to keep the weight where it's always been. Uh, they're always trying to add a little more weight to what they're lifting. If you're lifting 20-pound dumbbells, you, you want to work up to 25-pound dumbbells, or maybe 35 or 40-pound uh, dumbbells. If you're benching 200, you're, you want to try to get to 210 and bench that, or 220 or 230 or 250. Or you're always trying to lift more weight. There's a, there's a principle there on physical strength that goes something like this. If you want to get stronger, then you constantly have to be lifting something heavier than you've lifted before. Now, God isn't into building biceps or triceps or anything like that, but He is into building faith muscles. So how does He do it? Listen carefully. He does it by giving you something to lift that's heavier than you've ever lifted before. It's not always fun in God's weight room, is it? It's not fun. Sometimes it can be tiring and painful and a struggle, but the goal is clear greater weight, to develop greater faith, to experience greater things. Greater weight, to develop greater faith, to experience greater things. And that's probably where some of you are today. You may be wondering why God has allowed such a heavy burden in your life right now. You may be struggling with that. It may not be because He's mad at you. It might be because He's building your faith muscles. And he's put something on you that, that, that you're trying to struggle with. And, and, but he's given you more than you've lifted before. Because he wants to develop a greater faith than you've ever had before. So he gives you something heavier. So you've become more powerful in him. I want to tell you something. Those times can be gut-wrenching. Those times can be heartbreaking. Those times can be very frustrating. But through that process, God can build your faith. I'm trying to imagine what it must have been like for Jairus years later. Let's fast forward and say that maybe now his daughter is about 18. And he has some friends over to the house and the and little girl or the young lady there is, is, is with them and one of, the, one of his buddies talks about how she's grown, and boy, she sure is a pretty girl, you know. You're going to have to have a shotgun for that one, that kind of thing. And, and Jairus is smiling and saying, yeah, she, she's quite a young lady. And, and uh, his mind races back to when she was 12. And the conversation is still going. But in Jairus' mind, he's thinking back six years ago. 
Six years ago when he almost lost her. Six years ago when he almost had to say goodbye. Six years ago when he had to carry something heavier than he had ever carried in his life. And now, thinking about how his faith has grown over those six years. Realizing that God not only did, Jesus not only did something for her, but Jesus did something in him. Andy Stanley said, with so many legitimate needs around us, it's easy to wonder why God doesn't do more to fix our problems. But what our human eyes so often fail to see is that while we struggle with the woes of this world, God's main occupation is preparing us for the world to come. And then he says, listen to this, great sentence, listen. He said, the focus of what God is doing in your life takes place in you, not around you. The focus of what God's doing in your life. We're so concerned about all the things around us and the the things around us that need God's attention. But God's really focused on what he's doing in you, not just around you. So here's the lesson. I'm going to give it to you in a sentence. Here's the one thing I want you to grab and take home and remember. Here's the one thing maybe to write down for this week. You're going to need it somewhere along the way. Here it is. Sometimes when it looks like he isn't doing anything at all, the work he may be focusing on is in you. Sometimes when it looks like he isn't doing anything at all, the work he may be focusing on is in you. You see, I believe Jesus could have healed Jairus' daughter from a distance. I believe he could have healed Jairus' daughter immediately. But there was something about that journey that he not only did something for his daughter, he did something in Jairus. When it looks like he isn't doing anything at all, the work he may be focusing on is in you. I want you to bow your heads and let me talk to you for just a moment. Ask you not to get ready to leave or step out or anything like that. Let me just talk to you for a moment with your heads bowed, with your eyes closed. I'm mindful of the fact that for some of you, this this is a hard time. I had someone after this first service talking about what they're going through and no longer out of a job or no longer has a job and just the difficulties they're experiencing. Carrying a weight they haven't had to carry before. A burden that's weighing them down. I don't know what your situation is, but if you're at a time where you have a desperate situation, that calls for desperate faith. And sometimes when you are walking through life, all of a sudden life changes, doesn't it? You're walking through life and and life suddenly becomes very different. Desperate faith will cause you to lay aside your pride. Desperate faith sometimes means waiting for God to work. Desperate faith means trusting God even when the future looks bleak. But today in this invitation, maybe it's your time for you to simply pray. Say, Heavenly Father, I not only need you to do a work around me, I need you to do a work in me. Just make that your prayer through this trying time. 
God, don't just do a work around me. Do a work in me. Make that your daily prayer this week. God, don't just do a work around me. Do a work in me. Make that your daily prayer this week. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, today would be a wonderful day for you to declare you need Him to do a work in you. You need Him to change you. You need Him to forgive you. And He will do a work in you that is so radical, so different. The Bible, de- the Bible describes it this way, that you are born again. You become a different person. Would you like to be born again? Would you like to be a different person than you are now? Would you like to have a different future than you have now? Would you like to know that your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home? That comes when you ask Jesus Christ, to be your Lord and Savior. You, you repent of your sin and you turn to Christ and Him alone for salvation. Not by your goodness, but by your faith in Him. I would ask you to declare your faith in Him today during this invitation as you come forward and say, Pastor, I'm giving my heart to Christ, declaring my faith in Him. Father, whatever needs to be done today, we trust you. Help us in those desperate situations to also have a desperate faith. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.